0: is dropped and it's showtime from downtown Winnipeg. Pass, a bag that shot tastes go strangely scores what a stop by Halabak Nikolai Eilers up the faceoff ground control the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets hosted by Jets TV
1: Welcome to another edition of Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets. And gentlemen in the room with me right now, Paul Edmonds, the 680 CJOB, play-by-play voice of the Winnipeg Jets. And his partner, I want to say partner in crime, but you guys, you know, are very law-abiding citizens. So his partner in the booth, Jamie Thomas. Oh, there would have been a time, I think,
0: that you could have (laughs) incorporated crime with the two of us. Yeah, the evil gene Uh, was uh, prevalent. Yes, (laughs) other provinces. Other provinces,
2: so other jurisdictions. Yes. So we're okay here in Manitoba. (laughs) Everything here has been by the book. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) Since I crossed that border in 2017, everything has been legal.
1: That is oddly specific. Anyways, uh the great thing gentlemen is the fact that training camp has been underway for the last four or five days here. And instead of just, you know, some news and notes, there was some stuff, especially at the end of the off season when things kind of started to, to come together as camp got closer, but now we really got some, some stuff to talk about, which is exciting. Uh, But just broadly, I mean, anybody can take this one Um, with training camp now open. What's kind of been the vibe that you've been getting from Rick bonus the first four or five days here?
0: Well, speed to accelerate the way they play not that they were slow but I just believe that he saw some things where he could have more confidence and more ability in all five including the defensive players to jump up in the rush and be faster quicker use their skill thereby create more goals of course he's talked about the fact they had 24 goals he'd like to see more of around 40 from the blue line 20 percent increase would get to to 30 if my math is correct. So from all of that, you're seeing a different implementation of a style of the way they want to play, plus a different implementation systematically. And so now those two worlds need to collide. But I think what happens is when you get comfortable with the style um, of the system, you'll play faster because you don't have to think. That's the game. I mean, sports at that high level, whether it's football, baseball, hockey, basketball, whatever it is. You start to think, you start to slow down. You just react, you're much faster. So I think with the theme being to play faster, implementing the systems, we'll see this kind of kind of come together uh, all the way around. And that will be what I think the challenge is for this coaching staff to get this team to play a little bit better systematically
2: and then certainly with more speed and pace. And even if you look at someone like Pierre-Luc Dubois, who was asked about the new system being put in place. Is like you, the adjustment is when do I go? When do I stay? That's the reads that the, the forwards will have to make. And Rick Bonas said, if a defenseman's in front of you, you got to decide where what you know. You got to stay back. So and then even further down the line in terms of the depth chart we talked to Declan Chisholm the other day when in the first preseason game in Edmonton and he said as an d- offensive minded defenseman he loves this he loves this new system and that that plays into his strengths so there are at the NHL level there are a lot of defensemen on the Jets side of things that are have that offensive flair too so this is this is going to help out and another thing is you got to cut down on the chances against and Rick Bonus said to Paul today you know, we're trying to get above average in penalty kill, get above average and on the power play. So those are just kind of the things that have stood out from what he said and what I've seen so far. And,
1: Jamie, you mentioned the the defensive side of things. Mm-hmm. Or sorry, the, the defenseman viewpoint of this, where they, you know, they get to activate. They get to mm-hmm. be a little bit more um, involved, I guess you could say, offensively. You talked about how much Declan Chisholm likes that. Is that what stood out to you guys the most, is maybe how active the, the defense is? Because really... You know, they, they did kind of like a day of neutral zone, a day of offensive zone, and a day of defensive zone, and then kind of got into games. So is that is the defensive aspect what, what's standing out to you guys a little bit?
0: You know, I still think it's a little early because I've always felt that one thing about the Jets is they've tried to, to activate that weak side defenseman coming out of their own zone to the neutralize. I don't know that that's changed. One thing that I think that we saw, and I need a few more games to, to really make an assertion to whether this has changed or not, but I think that the gap up on defensemen when they don't have the puck on the offensive players from the opposition is tighter. They want them to be tighter. Coming with that, though, you need to know that you have the support of that forward coming back in case you make a mistake and somebody gets by you. It's not an on-man rush. When you can make that play with that tighter gap, that allows you to quickly transition. There's where the speed comes. There's where the ability to jump into the play as defenseman comes from. So I think right now I'm watching to see how tight that gap is if they make a lot more stands, not necessarily inside their own zone, but at their blue line or maybe just outside of the neutral ice, and then the counter from there with the speed and the activation of the defenseman if they get the puck on a turnover, Um, as simple as that may or may not sound.
1: And sticking with the defensemen here, thoughts on splitting the defense, Jamie? They've kind of throughout camp and now the preseason roster's kind of been a little bit different when they actually got into games. But throughout camp, they've kind of split defense into like an experienced player on one side, and then you got a less experienced player. Now Rick Bonus said that's to help them evaluate some mm-hmm. of the younger guys. But the one that's really kind of stood out is Billy Hainela playing on the right side. His offside with Brendan Dillon. I thought that was interesting.
2: Yeah, really interesting. And ironically enough, I, I spoke with Billy today and I just did the old head nod. What about playing with that guy? And he says, I love it. I love it. It just said, we, I've kind of been pushing and hoping to play with Brendan Dillon. He says, I'm so excited that he will play a game with him, which is tonight while we're t- today that we're recording this game is on Tuesday against Ottawa, that he gets that chance to play with Brendan Dillon. And I said, is he talking all the time? He says, he's talking on the ice and off the ice. Billy feels completely comfortable to go to Brendan and ask him questions. And then Brendan will in turn, uh, you know, offer his opinion in certain situations. So I, from what Rick is saying, this is a great idea. And for someone like Billy that's trying to make an impression on the new coaching staff and possibly move his way back up the depth chart, I think this is a great opportunity for someone like him.
1: Completely agree. Now, Paul, if the, if the Jets top six shakes out how it's kind of looked in camp so far, Connor Shifley, Ehlers, Perfetti Dubois Wheeler, of course, some offense is going to have to come from the back end, but also you you take a look at the, the quote-unquote bottom six, if you will. Adam Lowry spoke of that onus kind of being on him, Mason Appleton, Jansen Harkins, Morgan Barron when he's healthy and back skating uh, with the group kind of that group of players to generate a little bit more. Adam Lowry coming off a season with double-digit goals. What does that group need to do offensively in addition to the value that they provide defensively?
0: Well, I think you hit the nail right on the head in your first sort of summation in getting to the question, and that is add-on. I think that there's a capability of, of adding on. To what degree? I mean, listen, if you're not an offensive player and you haven't been for five or six or so years in your National Hockey League career... There's not an ability just to turn it on and add another 10 or 15 goals. But what I think you could do is add five. And I don't see anything that would tell me that you're asking for something that isn't capable. If you're asking Jansen Harkins to add five more goals to the seven and to come away with 12. Or Adam Lowry, who's got double digits before in goals, to do that again. Mason Appleton to get to 15 goals. These are going to be opportunities for these guys, especially not only five-on-five, on five, but when they're going to get penalty kill time, mm-hmm. they're going to have an opportunity to be a little bit more aggressive with their speed to do that. And that goes for all of the guys in the bottom six, and that might be bottom seven, too, because you're talking about your 13th forward. I think there's an add-on there. There's more, I think, to give from Jansen Harkins, Mason Appleton, maybe also Adam Lowry. Um, Dominic Tony Toninato, we'll see. Again, you're still having David Gustafson break into the league. He's got durability issues. You've got to make sure that he can play, you know, and not get hurt. But there's a guy that I think can add a little bit more offense on that fourth line position, whether he's in center or on the wing. And we'll see what happens from there. But in order for the Jets, and there's always been that, that saying from previous coaching regimes, oh, we're not worried about offense. We'll score enough goals. And that may be true. But you'd like to have a little bit more from your depth guys and not always have the pressure on the top six to score goals, whether it's five on five or on the power play. So anytime you can add on and have everybody contributing, I think it's a good thing for the entire collective. And that's what Adam Lowry was talking about. He understands it. He's absorbed it. And now we'll see if they can deliver it.
1: Hopefully, and he was saying that the World Championship, just being put in a little bit of a different role, maybe a chance to push for some more offense is something that he can carry into uh, into this season in terms of confidence. And I think, Jamie, just the other thing that I like about that group is they can all kind of generate offense a little bit of a different way. You know, mm-hmm. you've got Adam Lowry who is comfortable in front of the net. He's got a sneaky good shot. And I believe he's been working on breakaway moves as well. I'm sure he has because you know, he was lethal, shorthanded last year for for a good run there. Uh, But then you got Mason Appleton. I mean, Jets fans know what he's capable of with that burning speed coming off the edge. He's not afraid to go to the front of the net. Jansen Harkins has a heck of a wrist shot. These are guys that that can generate these things. As Paul said, it's just a matter of finding a couple more here.
2: Yeah, and and Jansen Harkins was in the one game that uh, the preseason game in Edmonton, we saw him using his speed to the outside, stopping, coming back, trying to set another play up through the middle. He has that playmaking ability too, but Has that great shot and not afraid to go to the front of the net either. What a great opportunity it is for Jansen Harkins. You know, I kind of thought the light had turned on for him previous to last season and then through preseason, he looked fantastic um, leading into last season. You just hope that that consistency can stay with him and and whatever is going on with Morgan Barron, the, the door is open, I think, right now for Jansen Harkins.
1: Really looking forward to uh, the preseason continuing here as we get closer to that home opener on October 14th against the New York Rangers. We had time for a quick chat as these guys hopped on the plane. They went uh, to Edmonton for the preseason game. I stuck around. I watched the, the following session of guys that weren't playing in the game. And Tyrell Bauer, you always hear of guys, you know, first guy on, last guy off. He, I can guarantee, was last guy off that day because I was waiting for him. Uh, he was last guy off, but uh, couldn't have been more gracious uh, with his uh, with his time. We had a quick chat about training camp, kind of his background, and his goals going forward this season.
0: Shop where the players shop. JetsGear and TrueNorthShop.com are your authentic team stores. Make sure to stock up on all your favorite Winnipeg Jets and Manitoba Moose merchandise today. Visit one of the five Jets Gear locations or shop online at TrueNorthShop.com.
3: Hi, this is Brendan Dillon. And you're listening to Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets.
1: Pleased to be joined by Tyrell Bauer on the Ground Control podcast. Uh, Fresh off the ice, uh, how's training camp uh, been going so far? We're about three, four days in now.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, Anytime you get to skate with players of this caliber, uh, you just learn so much. You just try to soak it all in. So uh, it's a lot of fun. It's hard work, which is what we like. And uh, I'm just going to try to keep it rolling forward.
1: New coaching stuff, obviously, and you were in training camp last year. I'm just curious what differences you're seeing. I mean, maybe outside of systems, obviously, that's been the big change. But uh, just in turn, is it pace? Is it team has a chip on its shoulder? Just kind of what are you you kind of seeing from everyone currently?
3: Yeah, yeah. um, Being here last year, the message has been a little different. Uh, Like you said, the team does have a chip on its shoulder. You can tell that guys are uh, are wanting to, you know, essentially – prove themselves that they can do it. So it's pretty cool to be around it all and just uh, get to see both sides and kind of soak it in.
1: How was the summer? Because obviously last season you had quite the year in terms of the injury, you rolled all all the way back, team gets to the the WHL final, that one doesn't go your way. But uh, how was the summer after a a hockey season that saw pretty much everything, including signing your entry level deal? (laughs) Yeah, short.
3: (laughs) Uh, uh, We went pretty long there. So anytime you get a short off season, it usually means it's a good thing, but uh, a lot of rest, a lot of recovery, dealing with the knee, some other things that, you know, come up throughout the season. So uh, once you kind of recover a little bit and uh, take some time off mentally, then it's kind of back to the work, back to the gym and uh, doing what we love every day. What does Tyrell Bauer do in the summer? (laughs) that Uh, isn't
1: maybe recovery and or working out related
3: yeah i'd say probably 90 percent of it's that uh in the gym you know always trying to get better but if not then definitely you know hanging out with friends maybe catching around a golf or two a week or uh you know on the on the boat something like that so pretty pretty chill pretty relaxing nothing too crazy on my end of things obviously the hockey side of things has worked out quite good for you but did you play other sports growing up yeah growing up i pretty much played them all um hockey soccer football lacrosse uh did some triathlon stuff you know baseball they just put me in everything see what i liked um and hockey is what i chose i guess but i think it helped me throughout kind of being able to learn in different aspects of different sports so overall i i'm appreciative that they did that but hockey is where it's going now is
1: there was one of those sports kind of your, your second favorite, I guess, because like you said, you played it in, in a whole bunch of them. But was there one other one besides hockey that kind of stood out?
3: Yeah, yeah, uh, two, two actually, football because you know you could crush people. <laughs> Suits yeah. your game, I would say. <laughs> and yeah, I like to I like to be pretty physical, so that was one I always I always had fun playing. And then baseball too, just because it was it was a different feeling, you know. Football and hockey, uh, especially hockey, are so up tempo, high pace. Uh, constantly thinking on the fly baseball you just kind of take a step back and um, it's a different level of thought process Uh, equally as challenging in some respects but just different so it was nice to kind of change it up a little bit.
1: You come into this training camp like we mentioned you had the one last year made quite the impression Uh, what are kind of your goals during this camp?
3: Yeah similar make an impression Um, I know the style of play that i play that i bring um it's not the flashiest but it's uh simple honest work um i enjoy the the role i play so uh i have my sights set on playing pro hockey this year that's that's my goal and um i want to stick around as long as i can and, and do what I, all the coaches ask you know they want us to compete i want to go out there and compete every day um they want us to be structurally sound so uh learn the systems you know don't want to don't want to not be prepared because that sets you up for failure in any regard so Uh, do what they ask, be a team guy, and and have some fun doing it. It's a fun time of the year. Tyrell, thanks for this. Thank you very much.
1: Also making news, just prior to training camp, the Winnipeg Jets added to their hockey ops department with three new scouts, Yari Kekalainen, who has been with the Florida Panthers for the last 20 years, including the last five as their director of European scouting. Tony Martino as well comes over from the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's been there for the last seven seasons. And also Sydney Daniels, who I'm sure you've heard of uh, by now. She spent the last four seasons as an assistant coach with Harvard, and she also played there for four seasons prior to that. She's the first female scout the Jets have hired. And as you'll hear in this clip, she wouldn't be where she is today without her father or her grandfather, and you'll also hear in this clip, she's very aware that she's been telling her story for quite a long time, but the story deserves all the time she wants to take.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think uh, my Indigenous heritage in, m- is something I hold kind of closest to my heart at all times. Um, you know, the, my grandfather did play at the same residential school, um, as Freddie moves, and actually in the back of the book, he talks about both my grandfather and my dad. Um, there we go. So just, he, they, he, they're back there. But, uh, <laughs> so well, that's they sit awesome. There, um, and so essentially, um, it's been kind of this three generational thing between my grandfather, my father, and I. Um, my grandfather went to, um, like we just said, residential school, and there, he was, uh, that's where he was introduced to the game of hockey, um, and he was a very good hockey player. And so because of that, he was protected um, within those schools. He was given proper meals because they would go and travel and play, you know, other residential school teams. They would have exhibitions against, you know, NHL teams. They were um, a legitimate hockey powerhouse and so because of the sport um, my grandfather was able to essentially survive residential school and and have a way out and have a way to be protected and have a way to you know if I play the sport and hey I love the sport too but if I do well then I'm going to live I'm going to be okay um, and so whenever I speak about it it's almost like I get lost because I'm like I can't even believe that that was reality for so many people same with for Fred um and same for you know all those who didn't make it out so um I think you know the probability of that happening and then my grandfather you know being there until the age of 17 he was taken away um age six from his family um so him leaving and and him, you know, finding the strength and, and courage to just continue forward. And he had uh, five sons and two daughters. One of the daughter unfortunately passed away um, not too long after she was uh, birthed. Her her name is Tara and that's actually my middle name. So connection there. And so okay. my grandfather was a farmer. He was just, I need to do what I need to do to make sure my, my children, um, you know, have the ability to do everything that they want to do um and he taught them how to play hockey every year he would build a hockey rink on their farm teach them the game um my father actually didn't start skating until I think age seven he oh, wow. was you know interested in other sports and um but my grandfather yeah taught all of them how to play and and made sure that they were able to have opportunities that Um, you know, indigenous youth weren't given back then and still today really Mm -hmm. aren't given um, just because of disparity in wealth, disparity of all all of the, you know, systematic racism that's still in play. So um, in that regard, he was so focused and dead set on giving his children the opportunity to, you know, get off of the reservation and go excel um, outside of their, their place. So Uh, My father kind of was a late bloomer, but um, he apparently showed very good promise not too long after, and uh, he fell in love with the game too, and and so did my uncle. He was also a very good hockey player as well. My aunt, they all went to Notre Dame, except for the, I believe two of them didn't go to play hockey, and so we quickly morphed into a very, very strong hockey family. Um, And so then my dad just kind of... um, I think he he fell in love with the game. He he wanted to succeed. He was a he was a he was an athlete. He was a uh, a competitor. He wanted to get get to where he wanted to go and was willing to, you know, take those kind of sacrifices and moving away from home. And is this a really long interview? Do you want me? It's to, all good. No, hand. I'm
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, That's okay, Great.
4: So he uh, you know he had to move away from home and he had to deal with um, you know instances of racism consistently constantly throughout uh-huh. his career whether it be you know just starting in juniors or even all the way up to the nhl so um watching and then i come into play watching kind of at a very very young age watching my dad play and uh i want i wanted to be like my dad every single part about him i think uh he when I, in my child he, he had too many brain concussions so mm-hmm. from fighting Um, he unfortunately had to retire so he had a kind of a down period where he was struggling with his mental health and and just kind of all the the ramifications that come with you know athletes not being able to do what they love anymore Um, and so it was uh, you know through that he was home now Uh, he wasn't on the road and I was a little kid so I was just Persistent. So I have an older sister and a younger sister, um, and neither of them play sports. You don't want to see them play sports. <laughs> I think I... I my sister is the same way. Perfect. <laughs> I luckily think I absorbed all of those athletic genes, and uh, I was persistent as heck with my dad of being like, Dad, I want to play hockey. I want to be like you. No, like, no, no, no. You'll find a different sport. And so um, I'm pretty persistent, pretty adamant. And so finally... Um, sorry.
1: Yeah,
4: all good. Finally one day, um, in preschool over the loudspeaker, it was like, Sidney Daniels come to the principal's office and I'm like, what I didn't do anything wrong with that <laughs> So my dad picked me up, it was like and he picked me up in the middle of the day and he's like you ready? And I'm like, what? He's like, you want to go skating? I go, hell yeah. I probably didn't say hell yeah. (laughs) But now now looking back, I was like, yeah. no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So then he brought me to an open ice with um, in the middle of the day, just figure skaters out there. And it was him and I just teaching me. So kind of through that, um, you know, my dad was able to kind of fall in love with the game again in a different way and helping me. Um, And I was just in love with the game, in love with uh, kind of how it let me connect with my dad and, um, how it let me connect with, you know, my grandfather. And I think as I grew up, uh, there was a period of just kind of ignorant bliss in the sense of, I'm just a hockey player. I'm just like everyone else here. And then, um, you kind of learn more and more as you grow up and learning about my uh, grandfather and all of the tragedies that he had Mm -hmm. to, um, endure. And even my father, um, I knew kind of at a younger age that me playing hockey was just more than me playing hockey. Um, and I knew that, you know, I, I have a kind of, uh, I don't want to say platform, but I have, uh, um, you know, my success is, is not just mine. My success is for, um, you know, my people, my success is for the youth to see that, Hey, uh, this girl's just like me this girl's um, indigenous just like me and she's doing this uh, I can do that so um, I think that that quickly became as I you know went to college and I, I really grasped that at an early age because I think um, that was something that my father um, you know really made me conscious of and I'm so thankful for that because now I'm in a place where you know every year we go back to my um, my First Nation and the border ones we run hockey camps for the youth and um, I truly see kind of the bigger picture now and so you know to be able to be in a position right now where I am to be you know a pro scout for an NHL team um, and just to think, you know in the last two generations of everything that has gotten me to this place it's it's uh, it's pretty powerful and yeah. sometimes overwhelming and um sometimes just i i'm just struck in awe of you know how much has changed in those three generations but it also kind of instills me with this sense of uh you know pride and purpose and and gratitude and uh it it really motivates me to just keep pushing and pushing and see how far you know, I can make change and then see how far I can, you know, empower youth and indigenous youth and other people to keep pushing and, and uh, keep breaking those systems and, and try to just, you know, get them to realize how very special they are too. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah.
2: The new quarter season ticket plans offer exclusive benefits, savings on ticket prices, discounts on merchandise, and access to season ticket holder events. Choose the pack that suits you and see the games you want to see.
1: Alrighty, back to wrap up this edition of Ground Control. I've kept these guys in this studio. It's a game day. I've kept them locked in here, so I got to let them get back to work. Sequestered? Uh, yes, sequestered. <laughs> That's a good word. Hurting? Uh, I don't want to, yeah. I want to say locked in because Jamie could just very well get up, walk two feet, and pull that door open, and he'd be able to escape. uh, And then Paul's
2: right there. He's a captive audience. Yeah,
1: I'm tucked away in this corner. I wouldn't be able to prevent anything from happening. Uh, Rick Bonus spoke about how there's uh, some urgency to get down to the final lineup pretty quickly, given the fact the Jets only have six preseason games. For a new coaching staff coming in, and I remember the last few years the Winnipeg Jets have had seven preseason games. I think the year that they had a split-squat game, they actually played eight. Do you think a preseason with six games is long enough for this coaching
0: staff, or do you think they maybe would have preferred seven or eight? If Rick Bonas hadn't worked in the league before, I would tell you it would probably be short. Mm-hmm. Because he has, and Scott Arneal has, and those two have really got a good book on the players here. They were hired early enough to, to watch a lot of video, speak to the players, speak to other people about the players. I think it's fine. The other part of this is that, you don't have a lot of positions that are open. So because you're essentially returning the same roster as you did last year, there's not a an extra day or two that is required or a game or two to look at another young player versus another young player and decide, well, which guy is going to win the job in preseason game seven or eight, right? The Edmonton Oilers are playing seven preseason games. The Jets are only playing six by comparison. So I think that, based on what they have in terms of their experience and not a lot of volatility and turnover on the roster, I think six is probably the sweet spot, and that's why they want to make these decisions as quick as possible and get down to the regular numbers that they would normally be working with because it's much more manageable as they get prepared for October 14th against the Rangers.
2: And further to what Paul was just saying, I just there's enough veterans on this team now, and it's a veteran coaching staff. There's just not much you can do and you're not really benefiting anybody by getting this and uh, two extra games for younger players now you know for a younger player like Mikey Asmont this is a great chance to put himself in the coaching staff's mind when it comes to that first call up you know Me- uh, menaline and like same thing It just there's just those guys have those opportunities to get there okay when there's injuries I, I want to put myself in the coach's mind and the coaching staff situation here. So uh, I think this there's clearly enough time with six games. And we all know what preseason is, right? It's just I think six is enough. I wish the whole NHL would do that.
1: I agree. Uh, moving into uh, just things to keep an eye on. Obviously, October 1st is a very important day uh, here in downtown Winnipeg. Uh, As the unveiling of the Dale Howarchuk statue occurs, now the things to keep in mind, fans are encouraged to arrive as early as 4.30 p.m. Central Time. Ceremony begins at 5.15. The Winnipeg Jets also play that night. The ceremony will last approximately 30 minutes and is open to fans with or without tickets to that night's game. Uh, There's an address from Dale Howarchuk's wife, Crystal, the NHL Senior Vice President of Hockey Operations and former Winnipeg Jet, Chris King his former Canada Cup teammate and fellow Hockey Hall of Fame member Paul Coffey, former Jets teammate Dave Ellett, former Jets teammate and current Jets associate coach Scott O'Neill, as well as Jets forward Mark Shifley. Uh, So obviously a number of people uh, expected to speak at that event. Now, of course, you don't need a ticket to the game to come down to watch, but I mean, you're already in downtown Winnipeg. You'll get a commemorative coin as well. Uh, if you have tickets to that game. So winnipegjets.com slash tickets is the place to go for that. And also just announced today, the Jets Town Takeover uh, has returned as well. So you want to visit winnipegjets.com slash Town Takeover. Oh, yeah. Hey, Dauphin, get Dauphin. on it. Get on it. No maybe, way. maybe I'll, I'll get to come and be like a guest or something. We'll see. <laughs> you could host it. Uh, yeah, exactly. Deadline town, man. Yeah, exactly.
2: You may know we'll me from such things as
1: <laughs> deadline for entries Tuesday, October 11th, 2022 make sure you don't delay on that because I learned in university delaying when you have a deadline is not a good thing to do. So just make sure.
0: (laughs) We all did. (laughs) All of us did. (laughs) Exactly.
1: So that's once again the Winnipeg Jets Town Takeover. You can find out information on all these things at winnipegjets.com. Gentlemen, I know it's a game day so thank you very much for taking some time to, to join us on Ground Control.
2: Always a pleasure. Anytime.
1: Alrighty, we'll see you guys next week.
0: This is Big Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets, hosted by Jets TV. For Jets news, videos, and more, head to WinnipegJets.com.